So I know my boys, Morgan, Tanner, Walker, and Brooks probably enjoyed that video more than, uh, more than anybody. Hey, uh, a year ago, uh, I had an experience that changed the way I think about prayer forever. And that experience actually served as the catalyst for this series, Pray Big, and I had no idea that one year later, we would all be living through what we're living through right now, and we'd all be praying pretty big. Pretty big. Today, we're going to look at a story that Jesus tells and some of his teaching on prayer that literally changed my life, and I hope that it will impact you as well. By March of 2019, Emily, my wife, and I had been uh, we'd been going through a season of prayer. We'd been praying really for over a year that, that God was calling us to something new that aligned with our heart to reach the unreached. And so I, I just want to say to you, if you're new watching this and you haven't even maybe even joined us in person for worship or you've only been a few times uh, to Mountaintop or maybe you don't even live in our state or even uh, our region, but a friend has invited you to watch and you're kind of new to faith and you're new to, to church, I, my heart beats for you. My passion and calling in life is to help Jesus make sense to you so that you would experience the love and the forgiveness and mercy and grace of the cross of Jesus and the freedom and power of the resurrection. That, that's really my passion. That's my heart. That's my calling. In March of 2019, as we were praying through this and had, begin, and had been praying for it for a while, we learned about Mountaintop Community Church, a church that shared that passion, and they happened to be looking for a pastor. So a year ago, this past Wednesday, March 18th, 2019, I sent in my resume, and I really began to struggle thinking about how am I supposed to pray about this? I, was, I wasn't really sure, because I wasn't exactly sure what God wanted me to do, where God wanted me to, to be, and I kind of had an existential moment that I was struggling through. Uh, during that season, I began, I mean, almost immediately, I picked up a book that I had read a couple of years ago, and I almost never reread a book, but I picked up Pastor Mark Batterson's book called The Circle Maker. Pastor Batterson is the lead pastor of National Community Church in Washington, D.C., and it's been one of my favorite books on prayer and in it, he tells a story uh, from Mark chapter 10. It's this story where a blind man is crying out to Jesus as him and his disciples are kind of passing by. And Jesus brings the man and stands him right in front of him. He brings this man right in front of Jesus. And Jesus asks him this question. What do you want me to do for you? What, what, would, what would that question be for you? What do you want me to do for you? And Batterson says in the book that this is, this is one of the problems that we have with prayer, is that if Jesus brought us in front of him and he asked us this question, what do you want me to do for you? We wouldn't even know how to answer it. What would you pray for? Would you pray to have a good day? Would you pray that your meeting goes well? Would you pray to find a great parking spot? Here's what I 
I guarantee you I know about you. You pray something different than what you prayed two weeks ago. Man, our prayers have changed in a week, haven't they? But what would you pray? What, what do you want me to do for you? And so as I was reading that question, I just began to, to just kind of think like, what do I want the Lord to do? So a few days later, while my boys were at um, soccer practice, my two youngest, I did a prayer walk. You ever done one of those? And I just walked and walked and walked and prayed and prayed and prayed. And this is the question that I kept asking myself and I kept asking God is, do I want to do this or do I want to do that? Do I want to do this or that for the rest of my life? The this was what I had been doing for almost 20 years. Serving in a denominational appointment in a mainline denomination with a guaranteed job and a lot of security and great benefits. And it had been good to me and my family. We had been privileged and honored to serve so many great churches and, and made so many great friends. And we had so many great minist uh, ministries and memories. It was literally all we had ever known in our marriage and all we had ever known in ministry. But I knew that my heart, my calling to reach the unreached didn't completely line up with where I was in the this. Or, Lord, do you want me to do that? What do I want to do? That was a step of faith. That was a step out of a guaranteed appointment under a denomination. That was a step into a state that we had never lived and out of the only state that we had ever lived in our marriage. But it was a step into a ministry that aligned with my heart, into a calling to reach the unreached. I'm, I must have asked myself that question a million times. I must have asked God that question five million times walking around that track. And then I felt a sense of peace. And I answered this question that God had asked this blind man through his son Jesus. And I said, Lord, I want to do that for the rest of my life. So I went home, and I told Emily, and we began to pray big, and we began to pray bold, and we began to pray uh, huge prayers and specific prayers about Mountaintop, and we began to ask God for confirmation, and we felt like we began to get confirmation. And then, and then I had a personal prayer crisis of panic. As I began to pray bigger and bigger about this, this very specific thing, and this very, I, I just had this, this, this personal crisis. And this is crazy because I had been a pastor for almost two decades. I had taught about prayer for two decades. And all of a sudden, I was having this personal crisis and this personal panic. And here's, here's what I began to worry about. What if it's a terrible idea? What if I hate it? What if it's a bad fit? What if we're miserable in Birmingham? What if it doesn't work? What, or what if I pray really big, bold, specific prayers, and what if we get hurt? Because So I begin to run up against a couple of problems that we often have in prayer. 
And here's, and here's one of the problems, and it stops us from praying big, and we got to address this before we even understand what Jesus is saying in the response. And that this, the first was this, you have never prayed a prayer that you thought was a bad idea. It's never happened, right? You've never prayed a prayer that you thought was a bad idea. You've never prayed a prayer where you're like, Lord, I think this is a terrible idea, but would you help me marry that girl? Lord, I'm pretty sure this is an awful idea, but would you help us get that house? Would you help me get that job? Would you help this business succeed? No, 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 of course. The nature of prayer, and especially big ones, is that you think they're great ideas. You wouldn't pray it unless you thought it was a good idea. But here's the problem. You never prayed a prayer that you thought was a bad idea, but some of them were, right? I mean, you've got hindsight of five years or 10 years or maybe 20 years to look back now and you say, yeah, that was a really bad idea. I'm so glad God didn't make that come true. I'm so glad that God didn't answer that prayer. That was a terrible idea. And the bigger I prayed, the more specifically I prayed, the more boldly I prayed, the more scared I got. I was trying to pray with the persistence of the persistent widow, which is another story Jesus told, and just thinking that I'm just going to go to God and go to God, and I begin to think, like, what if God gives me what I'm asking for, and it's a bad idea, and it's bad for you, so maybe I shouldn't pray big. So, I mean, is that who God is? Is God a God that gives you what you want if you just ask him hard enough and long enough, and you're persistent enough, even if it's bad for you. And that mindset stops us from praying big. It stops us from praying big because we're not always certain. Deep down, we, we know we're not sure that our prayer is a good idea sometimes. And this mindset, this fear that what we're praying could be a bad idea, it actually stops us from praying big. So here's the cop-out prayer that we do. Well, Lord, I just want your will. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying God's will is a bad thing. What I'm saying is that that is often a cop-out prayer for actually praying big. I want you to imagine that Jesus, remember the story that he brings this blind man in front of him, and he says, what do you want me to do for you? And I want you to, I want you to just imagine that this blind man had said, well, Lord, um, I just want your whatever your will is. Instead, you know what the blind man said to Jesus? He looked Jesus square in the eye, just like I'm looking at you right now, and he said, Lord, I want to see. It was a big, bold, huge, very specific prayer. It wasn't just whatever your will is. See, this mindset that our prayers might be a bad idea, can actually stop us from praying big. There's a second problem that I was struggling with is as I was praying big, I began to think about, well, what if, what if we get hurt in this? You know, like what if we just put all our chips on God and, and we just think he's gonna come through and, and we feel like we've heard from the Lord, but what if we were mistaken and we don't get it? Because here's the other problem. This is the second problem that causes us from, stops us from praying big is that you prayed some good ideas that didn't come true. Like I know you 
we all know we have some bad ideas that we thought were good ideas, and we're really glad. But you also have a story like I have, we have a bunch of them, that you prayed some good ideas that didn't come true. You prayed for healing for someone that you love, and it didn't happen, and they passed away. You prayed for life. You prayed for a pregnancy that didn't work out. And why wouldn't God ever want a pregnancy to work out? You prayed for a friend to find freedom from addiction, and they still haven't found it. You prayed for someone that you know to experience salvation in Jesus Christ, and they still haven't made that decision yet. And right now, we're all praying for a virus to stop, and it just won't seem to stop. So when are any of those ever bad ideas? How could those ever be bad ideas? And the sting of unanswered prayer can make us stop praying big because we think to ourselves, I might be disappointed. And I've been disappointed before. Is that who God is? Is that who God is, a God that doesn't want us to pray big because we might be disappointed if we don't get what we ask for? And Jesus addresses these two ideas, like what if our prayers are bad ideas and how do we deal with disappointment in Luke chapter 11. And I just want to tell you that, I mean, this passage absolutely wrecked me as I began to pray through a big prayer. Now, one of the things that makes me feel good in reading this is that I'm not the only one that's ever struggled with trying to figure out, Lord, how am I supposed to pray about this? What does it even mean to to pray a big prayer? Because his disciples who lived and walked and and ate and, and worked with him every single day, they actually come to Jesus at one point in their time together and they say, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? Now, these guys had been Jewish their whole life. They had heard a million prayers. But they come to Jesus, they, under, they see that there is something about prayer that they're missing, and they ask him, teach us to pray, and he teaches them. And in Luke chapter 11, he shares what is known as the Lord's Prayer. You can also find it right at the beginning of Matthew's Gospel that we often recite, and maybe we remember when we were a kid. And then he expands on the idea of how to pray. So if you got your Bibles at home, we're going to be in Luke chapter 11, and we're going to start in verse 5, and this is right after where Jesus has taught them the Lord's prayers. It's as if he's trying to say to them, and there's more to prayer, and here's the more to it. And he starts off with a story. He says, Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Of course, today we'd be like, lend me some toilet paper, right? That's what we'd say today. Lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have found no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. All right, so at this point, when Jesus tells this, you got to imagine that his disciples are going like, Okay, he's trying to teach us to pray. Is he telling us that? There's some things we don't need to bother God with. Is he telling us that we don't need to bother God in the middle of the night? Is he telling us that um, we, we don't need to come with kind of ridiculous requests? What, what's he trying to tell us? Like, like that there are like prayer times and then there's times that prayer shut off and the doors close? What's he trying to tell us? And then Jesus finishes the story. 
He says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, and that's really important because a lot of people think that I can't go to God in prayer because I don't have a good enough relationship with God. And you think that God listening to your prayer has something to do with how good of a friend you are to God. And Jesus says that I tell you that the friendship actually has no bearing at that point in the story. And that your relationship with God, that it is not about how good you've been or how good a friend you have been to God. There's actually something that piques God's interest more than even your relationship. It says this, Yet because of your shameless audacity, would you just say that with me there at home? One, two, three. Shameless audacity. Because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Shameless audacity. It's not your relationship that is the basis. It's not your, uh, how good you've been or how good a friend you've been. It's something deeper. It's the kind of request. And so let me just ask you this question. Are your prayers characterized by shameless audacity or measured predictability? I mean, what are, you, what are your prayers? Are they characterized by shameless audacity or measured predictability? What are, what are your prayers like? Do your prayers make sense? Like they're just kind of, uh, they're predictable and you can kind of measure, like you can kind of get like, like you don't really need God to show up. Do they make sense, or are your prayers characterized by shameless audacity? In fact, they don't even make sense unless God shows up. What are your prayers? Because what Jesus says is that big, shamelessly audacious prayers make God sit up straight in his chair. They get God's attention. They, they perk God's ears up to want to hear what we have to say. And often our prayers aren't big enough because our dreams aren't big enough. And Jesus says, I want you to pray big, bold, huge, shamelessly audacious prayers. Remember what Jesus asked the blind man, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Can you imagine being that blind man standing in front of Jesus with the Lord of all creation asking him that question, what do you want me to do for you? Friend, when you go to the Lord in prayer, you are standing in front of the Lord of all creation just as real and just as powerfully as that blind man was. And I believe God is asking all that us that same question, what do you want me to do for you? If Jesus heard your prayer at that moment, would his response be, is that all you want? Or would he say, wow, that's a big one. A lot of us don't pray big because we're not dreaming big enough. What are your big dreams what are the things that seem so audacious deep down in your heart that you can't even hardly put words to them because they're just, they would sound crazy to someone who was trying to measure predictability? What dream in your heart is unpredictable? 
And then Jesus says something that you might have heard. But this passage is often read out of context because it's supposed to come right after this story about this man who goes knocking on his door of his neighbor's house. Jesus says this. He says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks the door will be open. And what Jesus is saying is, is not that you get whatever you want and just ask for it and you'll get it. And sometimes people have completely misinterpreted that text. And they're saying, just seek and you'll find whatever you're looking for. What Jesus is saying is that you don't ever have to be worried that it's the middle of the night for me. I want you to come ask and you're going to receive something. I want you to come seeking after me. And I don't want you to ever think that my door isn't open. Remember, he just told a story about a man who knocked on his neighbor's door and the neighbor wouldn't come. And you remember what, he, what Jesus says is, no, listen, I just want you to know the Father's door is absolutely always open. So ask and seek and knock. But here's the million-dollar question that I begin struggling with. What if it's a bad idea? And Jesus tells this, parable sort of this gives us this metaphor that rocked my world he says which of you fathers if your son asks for a fish will give him a snake instead or if he asked for an egg would give him a scorpion what Jesus is saying is that no loving father would give his son or daughter something that he knows will hurt them. And the underlying message, the underlying message is that sometimes we're asking for a fish, but we actually don't know it's disguised and it's a snake. The underlying message is that sometimes we're asking for an egg, what seems like a good idea, what seems like something that will be great, and it's actually a scorpion in disguise. And if what you're asking for is a bad idea, what Jesus is saying is that a loving father won't give it to you. So you don't have to worry if God would give you something that would hurt you because that's not what good fathers do. And he finishes it up with this. If you then, though you are evil, like you are earthly fathers, who are flawed. I'm a father of four boys. I'm so flawed. I've got so many, I've got so many, so many mistakes, so many warts as a parent. But I know how to give good gifts to my children. I know how to shop for them for what they'll like. I know where to take them that they'll like to eat. I, I mean, even me, even broken earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to their children. If you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Spirit to those who ask Him? If broken earthly fathers know how to give good gifts, won't our good Father in heaven know how to give us the best gifts? This week, I had to go to the grocery store for just a minute to get a few necessities that uh, we needed. Of course, we're all being very careful. Everyone's keeping their social distance. And I just thought, man, we are in a season that it seems like I should buy ice cream. 
So I came home and told Emily, um, I may or may have not bought four different kinds of ice cream. <laughs> and of course, this was a big hit with my boys because even me, I know how to give good gifts to my children. I know that they like ice cream and I know what flavors we all like and what kinds we all like. If I know how to do that and you dads at home and you moms at home know how to do that and you grandparents at home know how to give good, parent, good gifts to your grandchildren, then don't we think that our good fa father in heaven knows how to give us good gifts? If your kid is asking for a scorpion even though they think it's an egg, you just don't give it to them. You give them something way better. You give them something that might be a surprise, that might not be what they ask for, but it will be way better. So you can trust, here's what this story tells us, so that you can trust that if God says no to our prayer, it was probably because we were asking for a scorpion disguised as an egg. So we can trust him. And you know how I know that? And this is so fundamental and so foundational because God is good. He is not out to get you. He is not out to punish you he is not out to trick you he is not out to judge you he is not out to condemn you and he has not sent a virus to hurt you listen to me in your living rooms and in your kitchens and in your bedrooms God is for you he is so for you that he sent his son to die for you and he's got your picture on his refrigerator because he's a good, good father and you are his precious child and he wants to give you good gifts. He wants to answer you with good answers. And if you'll believe that, if you'll own that, you can pray big. See, here's the truth. I can pray big because God is good. I can pray big because God is good. And I know that seems so elementary, and I know it seems so simple, but right now I believe that we're in a world that's really having a hard time discerning this, that God is good. Because all 8 billion of us are asking a lot of questions about God right now, but I believe that I can pray big because God is good. The higher you view the Father, the bigger your prayers will become, and the lower you view the Father, the smaller your prayers will come. I can pray big because God is good. You see, I can pray big, bold, shamelessly audacious prayers because God is good. Because I know that even if I have a bad idea that's a prayer, that God would never give me a scorpion if I thought I was asking for an egg. And I can trust that his no is rooted in his goodness to give good gifts to his children. So... Several months ago, I began to have a, a big prayer for our church here at Mountaintop. And if you're watching online kind of out of state or out of the region or maybe a friend invited you, one of the things that our church has been praying for was to worship with 2,020 people on Easter 2020. That was a big prayer. I've been praying it for months. My wife, Emily, we've been praying it for months. Our leaders and our whole church, we invited a, a, a few weeks ago to start praying it. Now listen, if it, 
that was a big prayer for us because we typically worship about a thousand people so that would be twice what our worship attendance was if you think it's a big prayer to worship for with two thousand people when you typically have a thousand in worship it's a real whopper of a prayer when you're actually averaging zero in worship for the last few weeks because nobody's in the room now but a few cameramen and sound people and here's the interesting thing about it is that it seems like right now that gathering in movie theaters and gathering in restaurants and gathering at sporting events and even gathering in worship is a bad idea instead of a good idea. But I'm still continuing to pray that prayer because here's what I believe. If it's a bad idea, our good father just won't give it to us. But if it's a good idea and it's what he wants, he will make a way where there is no way. And I can trust him either way because God is good. I can pray big because God is good, but I just want you to know you risk disappointment. Because God's good answers and the things he wants to happen don't always happen because this world is broken. But this reality helps me understand that God is good even when the world is not good and I don't know if you've noticed but we live in a world that isn't always good where there is sickness and when there is hurt and where there is heartache and where there are viruses and where there are miscarriages and where there is crime and there is so much ugliness in this world and this world has not yet been made new to a world that will one day be a place with no more tears and no more crying and no more pain but for now we live with disappointment but I refuse to be afraid to pray big because God is good and what he promised what he promised is that last verse and that whole passage that last verse in the whole passage and this is what he said this is what he said if you then though you are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him what you can guarantee is that even when you are disappointed even when your good idea doesn't come true and whenever for whatever reason it just doesn't happen and deep down you feel hurt that it didn't happen that you have a God who is good and he promises the presence of his Holy Spirit he always opens the door and gives you himself and friend I don't know if you like me but in this season I'm learning to trust more and more that God's presence is enough when we've lost almost everything else for a while I can pray big because God is good a year ago I was praying big for our church here at Mountaintop and if you're part of our Mountaintop church family I know many of you were praying big we didn't even know each other I was praying for you. You might have been praying for me. But here's, here's what I learned in that season of prayer. I learned that I could trust that God was good. And he was going to be good whether he called me to Birmingham, Alabama or to Bismarck, North Dakota. And I could pray big and I could trust him. So I want you to pray big. I want you to pray big and I don't want you to worry about if it's a bad idea because if it's a bad idea, our God's not a God who gives scorpions in places for eggs. 
I want you to pray big and understand that you could be disappointed. You risk disappointment. You might not get it, but here's what I say. It might be the prayer that God has been waiting to hear. It might be the prayer that makes God sit up straight in his seat and then lean forward and put his ear to earth because it's the prayer that he's been waiting to answer for millions of years to do something powerfully in your life, in your community's life, in your neighborhood's life, in your world. So pray big because we can trust God because God is good. He's good. If you've doubted that this week, listen, he's good and you can trust him. So why don't we pray with shameless audacity? Why don't we pray big? Why don't we pray for a miracle? Because our world needs it now more than ever. Would you pray with me at home? Heavenly Father, we pray big. Lord, we pray for our world. We pray for our communities. We pray for our own spirits. And Lord, we're trusting that you're a good God. We know that you are for us and not against us. We know that you love us. We know that you want what's best for us. And God, we want to be so bold to pray so big that you would just eradicate the world of this virus, Lord. We pray for healing on all those who are infected right now. And God, we pray for supernatural strength and power and energy and stamina for healthcare workers, for nurses and doctors and physicians assistants all over the world. We pray for our neighbors in Italy and Spain and China who are struggling. God, we pray for our own spirits as we feel locked inside our own homes. We feel imprisoned, God, but we pray that we would feel a freedom by the presence of your spirit. And Lord, we so long, we so long to go back to normal. My prayer, God, is that we would never be normal again. That we would remember how utterly dependent we are on you. And we would see what you can do when we pray big. It's in Jesus' name. We ask this, that we seek and that we knock on the door of heaven. Amen. I want to invite you to worship with us as we close together. Our band's going to lead us in a song as we pray for a miracle.